Hey friends, thanks for tuning in again. Granted, it's been a while. I actually wanted to do the next AMA much, much sooner. Well, Shopify kept me quite busy. So here we are in July. Here's what we're gonna do about this. First of all, I'm gonna commit to a monthly AMA. Second, if you want your question to be answered in the next AMA, post it on YouTube on this video. I'll pick it up, I'll make sure to give you a good answer. To jump right in, first question this month comes from Viola Eva, and she asks, I like your thoughts on all things category domination or demand generation and SEO. Basically, how do I make it that A, I'm top of mind when somebody's ready to buy, think in B2C when people are very clear they want a Tesla or Mercedes or startups want Trello versus Asana, and B, lead sourcing and demand generation. Those are my current marketing obsessions and I'd like to understand how to integrate SEO or how to think about it. Great question, Viola. Category domination comes from a really strong product with very high retention and great execution. So here's what I mean by that. First of all, when it comes to category domination, you need to know what your category is. And that is not that simple. What category would you put Facebook in or Google? Even Trello is sometimes hard to classify. So sitting down with product uh, marketing managers and other types of marketers might go a long way to really understand what category you're playing in or what several categories you're playing in. Second is you wanna understand the alternatives to your product. Little caveat, often the alternatives are spreadsheets and sometimes there is no good alternative, but you, you have to understand what are my competitors and what are all the different tools that people can use to solve this problem. Because once you have that, you can then create content for all these alternatives and show how your product is better. As a third logical step, you need to make sure that your product is much, much better. A lot of products out there are just a couple of percent better, and that is not enough to move people to change their behavior or the product that they already have. Product market fit, even though it can be difficult to influence as an SEO sometimes, is a really strong factor when it comes to category domination. Number four is you wanna understand where the minds of your audiences are understand what content do they consume what platforms are they on from social platforms to some type of forums probably everybody consumes youtube in some way what do people consume what do they think about all day where are they and so as a last step you want to run some brand campaigns on all these different platforms from youtube to tiktok instagram probably podcast ads influencer marketing maybe even advertise on some large email newsletters if you want category domination you often need to create the illusion in your customers minds that your brand is everywhere and the hottest shit. Now, you also asked about Dimension. The first thought that comes to mind about Dimension is you want a, a wide funnel, address a lot of people, and then a lot of nourishing. So the wide funnel basically means that you address a lot of people, you filter them at some point across the funnel or they will naturally filter themselves out, and then you nurture them with different types of content, webinars, podcasts, emails, drip campaigns, all that kind of stuff. And then you also want to, from an SEO perspective, target high intent keywords, create a lot of different landing pages. So if you have a product that solves more than one problem, which is very often the case because products have many different features and they solve many problems, you almost want to have a landing page per problem that you solve. And then lastly, you want to think about how can you funnel more traffic to high intent pages. Reality is that the higher the conversion intent of a keyword, very often the lower its search volume. And so when you have content that addresses the top of the funnel, you want to think about how can you best lead or bring people to content that is higher in, in conversion intent, but probably gets less traffic. So thanks again, for uh, Viola, for your question here. Next question is from Dave Irvin. 
And he asks, what is your favorite book or resource for someone promoting the first e-commerce store? I'm not sure if there is a great book for that. Uh, maybe someone should write it or maybe I should do more research to find one. I, I don't think it would be necessarily different from other books about growth or marketing. One book that I really like is Alchemy from Rory Sutherland. I like it because it really helps you to think about how to stand out. There are not really any categories left that nobody has established themselves in yet. One of the biggest questions when it comes to e-commerce growth is how do you stand out from the noise? And so I wanna quote two passages from Alchemy that really got me thinking about that. The first one is about, of course, the premise of the book, which is that while the modern world often turns its back on this kind of illogic, it is at times uniquely powerful. Alongside the inarguably valuable products of science and logic, there are also hundreds of seemingly irrational solutions to human problems just waiting to be discovered. If only we dare to abandon standard issue, naive logic in the search for answers. This premise perfectly summarizes what the book is all about. Logic can be helpful to a degree, but you shouldn't try to justify everything with logic. There are situations in which human behavior is not very logical at all. The first quote that I wanna read from the book, Logical ideas often fail because logic demands universally applicable laws. But humans, unlike atoms, are not consistent enough in their behavior for such laws to hold very broadly. What that means is in your niche or vertical, you want to think about, okay, what is something that is maybe illogical to do, but that could lead to results? And you get there by trial and error, trying things out, experimentation. And so when you see something that goes against logic, don't dismiss it as some outlier or something that is probably not true, but critically think, okay, am I onto something here that might go against common belief, but that might yield results? The second quote is, it doesn't always pay to be logical if everyone else is also being logical. Logic may be a good way to defend and explain a decision, but it is not always a good way to reach one. This is because conventional logic is a straightforward mental process that is equally available to all and will therefore get you to the same place as everyone else. The second interesting thing is that we we have no real unitary measure of what is important and what is not. The same quality, such as not having a lift, can be seen as a curse or a blessing depending on how you think about it. So again, logic is available to everyone. That means that a lot of people might come to the same conclusions. And so that's my friendly prompt and suggestion to you to try things out that might not make sense, but that might work. Of course, I'll leave a link to the book in the show notes on the video. And I will also leave a link to a guide that we published on the Shopify blog that really goes into all different areas of starting an online store and that will be I think a great guide for you. The next question is from Juan Karstel, and he asks, we tend to achieve solid growth in Shopify and enjoy working with it, probably because Google seems to love it too. What is it about Shopify that Google loves, do you think? And first of all, thank you very much for using Shopify, but I, I'm not sure if Google really prefers Shopify per se because it's Shopify. The product team works really hard on making Shopify faster and easier to use. That work probably never ends. Now, we talk about growth. We recently had our Unite conference and we announced a couple of cool things that might be connected to why Google likes Shopify. The one is a new theme called Dawn, which is 30% faster than our previous standard themes. And by the way, we also opened the theme store up for submissions. And then we made some bigger infrastructure announcements that that should make Shopify a lot faster. And so I'm, I'm calling these examples out. I wanna show that there's constant work on making Shopify better. It's by no means a perfect product. I do think though that it's the best product out there right now. And so we're very relentless in our effort to make it even better. And then I think another part of that is entrepreneurs love Shopify. That means they build great brands 
on Shopify and great brands tend to get a lot of backlinks, which is an important ranking factor in Google search or in organic search. And when you pair that with very strong content, then amazing things can happen. And that's what we see the best entrepreneurs that are on Shopify out there doing pretty well. Paul Andre Divera asks, with SEO being such a hot and demand skill in over 20,000 jobs opening in the US, having SEO listed in the job description, from your network of in-house SEOs and working in the Bay Area yourself, what have you seen in the salary ranges for an in-house SEO with under five years, five to 10 years, and over 10 years of experience? I do wanna call out that the Bay Area is a very confined space, and so San Francisco, New York City, maybe a couple of other large cities certainly stand out in terms of salary also stand out compared to say european countries or asian or south american countries so the bay area should not be the standard for salary but i have lived in the bay area for over six years and so i do want to give you an exact question keep in mind that this is my experience on salary ranges and that you know i might be off there what i see for people under five years in seo in the bay they can ask for a salary between eighty thousand and one hundred fifty thousand dollars. when it comes to people between five and ten years i think hundred fifty thousand to 300,000. And then with more than 10 years, you can ask, I think, for more than $300,000. Now, again, that's going to depend on the company that you apply for. It depends on certain circumstances, maybe your negotiation skills. The problem with experience is that some people work for five years in the industry, but they never really went deep on things, never built really solid experience. Other people work for three years in the industry and they might have really solid, great experience. They have a lot of results to show for. The sheer number of years should not be the deciding factor of how much you earn. There is a connection directionally. It shouldn't be the make or break at the end of the day. Dragan Berak asks, what do you think about topic clusters as a content management strategy? I think topic clusters are useful. If you start a content strategy from scratch, they're probably one of the best options to go with initially. But at the same time, you shouldn't over obsess over a specific strategy. In my career, I learned that there are many paths to making content work for you and to drive a ton of traffic through content. Topic clusters are one of them. And so at Atlassian, for example, we didn't follow a topic cluster structure. We had a hub structure. We had content hubs for specific topics like Agile, ITSM, DevOps, Git, and those were not the classic structure. At G2, we had more of a topic cluster structure, but it, it was a very tuned, a very customized way of going about them. I think you have to find out what makes sense for you. And the one thing that I want to leave you with is you want to be careful with putting all your content on blogs. The problem with blogs is they're sorted by timing, right? The newest blogs appear on top. And that's not always the best way to introduce content to your audience, especially to new visitors. I want you to challenge your assumptions around topic clusters, but I do generally think it's a it's a very good approach. Eamon Hamdan asks, would love to learn more from you. Once you joined Shopify, what did you do for the first month? As SEO, we analyze the website and list all the needed projects and low-hanging fruits. But I wanted to know from you how to be sure that you're listing the right SEO initiatives and that they're not all over the place and I'm not burning my brain. First of all, my role, even since the last couple of years, has been very strategic. For example, at Shopify, I have a very large SEO team. At G2, we had a large team. I was not doing all of the day-to-day -day work, even though I was very involved. And so at Shopify, one of the first five things that I did was to understand the company goals, get really familiar with what are we trying to achieve? What are the goals of my manager? What are the goals of our departments, you know, of our organization? Learn, 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 learn. That, those were the first couple of things. I also, as a second step, asked myself, do we have the right 
team structure. Org design, team structure, these things are really complicated. You want to start with the goal and then work your way through from there. I question the team structure. As a third step, I looked at, do we have the right people in place? The fourth step for me was to understand our levers. Every company is slightly different in how they can drive organic traffic. And so I wanted to understand what are the different assets that we have? What are the structures, blog tools, and so on? What are the different sites that we have? What are the resources that we have? And then as a fifth step, I painted a path or I tried to paint a path to how we can hit our goals, right? I was working very hard on the strategy together with my team, of course. I generally, I believe that the right right initiatives come from the right opportunities, right? So when you asked me what were the first couple of things that you did, I did not sit down and look at the low-hanging fruit keywords and, and really go deep on the keyword level. I started on the strategic level, and that had to do with goals and opportunities and resources. And again, reality is I do have a large team. I have very, very smart people that I'm honored to work with who help me flesh out the details. I am involved. I understand the details. Don't get me wrong. It's not a situation where I come in and say, okay, we should run a tipper model to understand our internal link structure, or we should start by reverse engineering the SERPs and understand all the SERP features that we're competing with. It was a much more first principles approach. And then over time, you get much, much deeper into these quote unquote tactics. But I just wanted to give a realistic picture here. And that's it, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Again, please post your questions under the video. I will cover them in next month's video. Thank you all for tuning in and have a good time.